I believe I can fly. My wife said, you want to do that. I believe I can touch the sky. This prayer stuff, it's sometimes an interesting topic to talk about. For some people, prayer, oh man, I just got it down, I just love it, I do it. And some of us are like, man, I don't pray unless I'm in trouble, Lord help me. For some people, prayer, you start thinking about praying, you're like, I don't even know if God's listening to me. Sometimes I pray and I feel like I'm praying and I'm just talking out loud or I'm thinking out loud and sometimes I wonder are my prayers even getting above the ceiling? Like they're just, they're just dying somewhere out there in the air and I don't really know if He's even listening. Some people describe their feelings that way. Quite honestly, i got to tell you, there's been times in my life where I feel like I pray and I'm like, God, are you hearing me? God, do I have your attention? You ever, did anybody ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like that? Well, a few of us are honest. I mean, the truth is... We have prayer times where we're like, I just don't know, God, if I have your attention, if you're paying attention to me at all. And sometimes you can go through seasons like that. We can go through months or sometimes go through years. We know we shouldn't feel that way and, and worry about God paying attention to our prayers because there's so many Scriptures that affirm and tell us that God loves us so much and He listens to our prayers because He cares about us. And all of our prayers are important. But at times we can have that feeling like, is God really listening to me. So today I want to introduce you to a way of praying that I guarantee will get God's attention. To a way of praying that when you pray this type of prayer, you know God is listening to me. What kind of prayer would accomplish that? The Apostle Paul actually shows us this kind of prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. That's where we've been for the last several weeks walking through the book of Ephesians. And today we're going to tackle Ephesians chapter 3, kind of just a one main section of this chapter. But I think it's a highly important section. And it's looking at the prayer of Paul. And it's a prayer that when we understand it, we learn how to pray it, we get God's attention. And God's ears actually, I believe, perk up and listen in closely to us. Look at verse 6, chapter 3. This mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him, and through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives His name. I pray that of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. 
In verses 8 and 9, Paul tells us that God gave him grace so that he could preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery for which ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. He begins to lay out, here is my purpose. Then in verse 14, he says, for this reason... I kneel before the Father. He first says, here's my purpose in verse 8 and 9. Because my purpose is so great, I kneel. I get on my knees in prayer. What Paul is saying is this. The reason I'm praying this prayer is because God has a goal. Another way to say it is God has an agenda that He wants to accomplish. God wants everyone to know the riches of that can be found in Christ. He wants the mystery of His salvation to be so plain and so obvious that others will understand it and they will want to embrace Christ as their Savior. That's what God wants. And Paul is praying a prayer focused on achieving that objective. Everything in in Paul's short prayer concentrate on God's goal and God's agenda. Stop and think about that for a moment. What do our prayers focus on? What have your prayers of late been focused on? You say, wait a minute, Brian. I thought you were going to talk about my prayers, about the things that when I pray, how to get God's attention. And that trust me, I am. Consider this thought with me. When you have a conversation with someone and you want their attention, what should you talk about with them? I mean, if you go in and you say, I've got to talk to you, and you start talking all about you, do they listen Or what will get them interested? Typically, what will get people interested to hear what you want to say is you start talking about them first. You ask them, how's the kids? How's the grandkids? How's the job? How's the stress? How's the sickness? How are things in your life? You start talking about that. and It's amazing how their ears perk up and they want to pay attention then when you start talking about things you want to talk about. Jesus said that our relationship with God kind of works the same way. He actually said in Matthew 6, 33, he said, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek what God wants. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In other words, if our lives and our prayers are focused on seeking what God wants, kingdom first, then that gets God's attention. When our mind and our heart aligns with what God wants, and we say, God, what do you want? Okay, God, I want to pursue what you want. Now, God, can I talk to you about what I want? When we get His attention, then He promises, I'll take care of your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. I mean, even Jesus prayed that way. Even Jesus looked at it and said, what does my Father God want? Do you remember the night when Jesus betrayed? He, pre- he prayed three times that God removed the cup of suffering from him, removed the cup of the impending crucifixion. He had this prayer and said, God, is there some other way for this to happen? But each time he ended the prayer with a very important phrase. Do you know what he ended the prayer with? Not my will, but your will be done. It's not about me, God. It's about you. Not my will. I want your kingdom to be done. God wants everyone to know that. When Paul prays this prayer in Ephesians 3, he's asking for God's will to be done. He's praying for something that he knows that God wants. He says, God, I don't really want this situation on my hands, but God, I want your will to be done. What does Paul pray for? God wants everyone, and Paul prays for this, everyone to know how wonderful Jesus is. 
Paul is praying that the message is so plain and so obvious that others will understand it and want what we Christians have. Paul doesn't list a prayer of, God, I need this. God, I want this. God, they're coming after me. God, I've been arrested. God, I'm in prison. God, I've dealt with this. He prays, God, I want them to know you. What can we, he pray for that will make God's message powerful and vocal and appealing to the world? He prays for the church. He prays for the church in the middle of his life while he's walking through. Paul prays for a local congregation. Look at verse 16. He says, I pray out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you. And the you, because this letter is being sent to the Christians in Ephesus, is the church that you be strengthened you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, again, he's referring to the church, and inside the church there are individuals, and so he's praying for the church as a body, and he's praying for us individually. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. He's saying, I want you to know the love of Christ. I want you to remain in that love, and I want you to be rooted and established. I find it very interesting and absolutely intriguing that Paul is praying directly for the church. And actually, when you read Paul's writings, it's hard to find where he says, pray for me and all of my struggles and trials and difficulties. He does mention some of that, but usually it's focused on Christ and the church. makes me stop and wonder, how am I doing about praying for the church? Studying this passage this week, it was one of those smacking me upside the head. Like, Brian, how well are you praying for the church to be rooted and established in love? But it's a fair question to ask of you, church, as well. What have your prayers been like lately? See, when we start praying for that, God starts to listen. What, what would the church at Ephesus have to do with Paul's overall objective? I mean, what effect would a single church have on what God had set Paul aside to do for the kingdom? Paul was spreading the gospel, starting churches, writing letter after letter after letter. Paul's a world-traveling evangelist. He's a persuasive preacher. He started many congregations by this time. And Ephesus is just one local church. Just one body. What difference could they make in accomplishing what God wanted Paul wanted them to do? And what difference can we make? And every single local church is so important. It can make all the difference in the world. We must understand and never forget that the local church is the face of God to this world. Do you grasp that? Do you understand that we, the church, are the face of God to this world? When the world looks to the church... They're looking to that body of believers as God's representatives. And when you say, I'm a Christian, they're looking at you saying, oh, what's different about them? Uh, do they really represent God well? Th think on this with me for a minute. L let's say you are in the market to buy a new car. You've been blessed because a great uncle passed away and left you several million dollars. That should get an amen, right? Left you a few million dollars. You're like, I am finally going to buy that car of my dreams. And so you take off to the dealership and you go test drive a few cars. You kick a few tires. You look under a few engines to make it look like you know what you're doing, even though you're like, it's all foreign to me. But you're trying to figure that out. And you're like, I'm going to get me a real nice car. And because you had a few million left to you, you would just write a check. Or maybe you took the cash with you and said, here it is. Here's 50 grand. And you just pay for that car up front. 
And you're excited as you drive away and you drive away, but just a few days later, could you imagine if the car wasn't driving right? Maybe it was a little wobbly. Maybe you heard some noises that weren't right. Maybe something was just kind of rattling around. You're like, what is going on with my brand new car that I just spent $50,000 on? What would you do? You take it back to their mechanic shop and you say something's not working right but could you imagine when you go back to the mechanic shop and the workers then are rude and they're unhelpful and you're like I just bought this car three days ago but they don't seem like they really want to work with you the shop is filthy dirty the mechanics are rough on your car they seem they can't seem to figure it out and fix the car and on top of all that they're not going to honor the warranty and they start putting the blame back on you and saying you did something you have to pay for this before it's even fixed how would you respond to that kind of treatment Probably not so kindly. Uh, you might call the Better Business Bureau. Hey, I want to tell you about this dealership down the road. You might call a lawyer. Hey, I have a warranty and they're not honoring the warranty. You might post that on Facebook. Some of you say, yeah, I would do that immediately and let other people know. One thing for sure, I probably would not go back to that dealer and buy another car, would you? You'd probably say, I'm not turning around going back to that dealership. I'll find a new dealership. I won't deal with them anymore. There are some people who would not only not go back to buy that kind of car, but they would not even, even buy that type of car or that brand of car from any other dealer ever again. If it's a Honda, I'll never buy a Honda again because all Hondas are bad. Because I had that one car that kind of fell apart and they didn't want to repair it. What's the problem with the dealership? The problem wasn't that they couldn't sell a car. They could sell cars. They could do that. They, they sold one actually to you because you had the money. Their problem was that the workers actually forgot why the company existed. The workers forgot their purpose. They, they thought the company existed for their comfort. And in, in your car, you, you're kind of a, a pain in my side to bring that back. And so why would I take care of you? They thought that once the car was sold, it didn't matter how they treated the customer because they thought those things... Because they thought those things, they would begin to lose clients. And as that word would spread, not only would they lose clients, they probably wouldn't stay open very long as a business because they would gain a reputation as being a bad company, and the company will fail. You know, that same problem can happen in the church. That exact same problem. A church can forget why they exist. They can forget what their purpose is. A church that gets thinking that the church is all about their comfort level has lost the purpose. A church that forgets that their primary job is to make disciples of their friends and their neighbors and their relatives, to baptize new people in Christ, to teach those new believers how to walk in Jesus and help them grow in Jesus. When we forget that and we start focusing on all the different kinds of things that can happen and we get distracted off what our purpose is, a church that forgets those things are going to fail. And not only will they fail, but they'll tarnish God's reputation. And so Paul is praying that we would not forget that we'd be rooted and established because they are the face of God to the world. And sometimes what happens, people say, well, I had a bad experience at that church, and I'm never going to church again. And matter of fact, now I'm not going to church, I don't really need God because I tried that once. Because we are the face of God, the church. The story is told about Professor Nash who once taught at Kentucky Christian College, that is now Kentucky Christian University. Nash once visited the home of a family 
And he talked to him about joining the church where he was pastoring, as he was also a professor. As was his custom, when he got out of his car, he went around the other side of the car, opened the car door for his wife, and then walked with his wife up to the family's home. It was over 30 years later, the, the once teenage son of the family brought his son now to Kentucky Christian College. He was a teenager observing Mr. Nash open the car door and walking her to the front door. Now his son is going to go to college, and his son chose Kentucky Christian College. And he's asked, why did you choose KCC? Why did you let your son come here? And he said, because I had seen Nash open the door for his wife, and I was convinced that this man was a man he could trust because he had shown, his, shown he was a nice man by the treatment of his wife. That man sought out KCC because of how he saw one man treat his wife. He trusted the college because he learned to trust one of the professors. He trusted that professor because he watched what that man had done and how he treated his wife. Just one simple act of kindness. Church, I must tell you, the world is watching us. The world is observing us Christians Rather, you believe that or not, they're looking at us and they're going, is that Christianity thing real? The, the world looks to see how do we treat our spouse. The world looks to see how we treat our co-workers. The world looks to see how we treat our friends. They look to see how we treat our enemies. They look how we, how, how we treat others who are a different race than us. And it hits close to home with what happened in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I must say it's absolutely evil. And God does not see color. But the world looks to see how we treat other races. Not just in words, but in our actions. And they're observing us, church. What took place in Charlottesville, Virginia should never take place, and it should never take place, especially in those who call Christ their Savior. They're watching to see how we respond over this next week. They're watching what is our response around the water cooler? What is our response when we go to lunch? What is our response when we respond to posts and social media? Do we respond with the grace of forgiveness or do we rise up with hatred and argumentative edges? They're watching to see how is the church different. They watch us because they want to see if Jesus made a difference in our lives. Is there anything different? If they, see, if they see that, we don't treat others in our lives any different than they would, then they reason that they don't need what we've got. We are the messenger of Christ, and we show by our conduct whether Jesus has made a difference in our lives. I found it interesting that Paul didn't lecture the church about what they were supposed to do. He doesn't lecture them. He just prays for them, and he prays three distinct things. One, he prays that God will strengthen them by his spirit. You notice, he prays by his spirit. He says, God, I want you to strengthen the church by your spirit, not by something I do. Not by my great teaching, not by, by the letter that I've written, not by things I'm doing, but God, I'm praying that your spirit would strengthen the church. And then second, he prays Christ will dwell in their hearts by faith. He's saying, basically what we say is we want Christ to be the center. He's saying, I'm praying that Christ will dwell in their hearts. That's every single day, all day long that Christ is in your life. And thirdly, he says, I want them to be rooted and established in love. I think about tree roots. Not a tree root that goes shallow, but tree roots that go deep. 
And Paul is praying that they would have roots that go deep, that are established in love. Why? Why would Paul pray this for the church? Why not just simply tell the church to do it? He could have said, now listen, church, I want you to be strengthened in the Spirit. Listen, church, I I want you to let Christ be in the middle of your life. Listen, church, I want you to be rooted in established love. He prays for them specifically for those things that happen. I think he prays for that because the church isn't designed to operate as purely a social organization. It's not where we're supposed to operate in. The church can exist and it can survive without God's direct involvement, but it cannot thrive and fulfill its mission unless it is guided by His Spirit and strengthened by His Spirit. Unless our hearts are filled with the faith that's in Christ. Unless we are rooted and established in love. The church was not designed to run merely on its own strength and its own efforts and its own abilities. And Paul's saying what we're doing is so much greater than any worldly organization. If you could survive, and the church could survive on its own, then the roadside sign out front of any church could read the church of human endeavor, or the church of the wealthy and the strong, or the church of the highly successful. For a church to be everything God intended to be, it must have God's Spirit empowering it, and it must have Christ's presence surrounding it and pervading it. Otherwise, we're not church. If we lose that, we just become a social organization. Secondly, I think Paul prays that because if a church tries to go it alone without praying for God's presence and power, the church runs a risk of having all kinds of problems, all kinds of issues and factions and troubles and difficulty. Matter of fact, Galatians 5 tells us that when the Spirit is not present in the church or in your life, that sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whenever we are not empowered by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit, established and rooted in love, these are temptations of things that will attack us individually and at corporately as the body of the church. You may say, now Brian, come on. Really? You really expect me to believe that? If I'm not that focused on Christ and rooted, you don't expect me to believe that because the church is kind of self-sufficient, doesn't really rely upon God as much as it should. Will they really have problems like that? Absolutely. And I know it from first-hand experience. When I was 18 years old, the church that I grew up in, that was a thriving church of 250 plus, went through a church split. Ugly, nasty church division right down the middle. Just about killed the church. Now, I'll spare you all the details, but I can tell you this things happen because of discord and jealousy and dissensions. And Satan loves to work in that. And so Paul is saying, I want you to be rooted and established in Christ and His love so that people will know the mystery of Christ the salvation that is in Christ. I know of churches where they've been ruined because of sexual misconduct and people have sided with both sides on the issues of this person did this and this person did that. Well, I side with this person, I side with that person. And because of sexual misconduct, a church then can be fractioned and fall apart. When the Spirit of God does not rule a church, 
when the authority of Jesus isn't present in a congregation, there is fertile ground for all kinds of sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, and drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. And so Paul is saying, I pray that you will be guided by the Spirit, that you'll be strengthened in the Spirit, that your hearts will be filled with faith, and that you'll be rooted and established in Christ because I want people to know who Jesus is. And that should be our focus as a church. So whenever you see those characteristics show up in a church, you know that the Spirit of God and the presence of Jesus isn't there. You know that we've waned off course. We've lost mission. We've lost focus of who we're supposed to be about. It doesn't have to be sexual immorality or financial mishandlings that are signs of this kind of trouble. It could be a group of people who come to church and just sit with their arms folded in anger. People who just want to challenge everything that the church leaders want to do. It could be sectarian divisions in the church family, a political maneuverings or gain one's own way in church decisions. Any of those characteristics can be signs and warnings that God's Spirit is not in control of that body of believers. Any of those kind of signs can also be signs that God's Spirit is not in control of your own life. And that's why the church needs to pray like Paul prayed. And that's why I want us to pray today for our congregation and for churches across this world today. Not just today. I encourage you to pray this this week. I encourage you to pray it regularly in your life. I want us to pray those three things for our church this morning. That God will strengthen His church by His Spirit. That Christ will dwell in our hearts by faith. And that we'll be rooted and established in love so that people will know and see Jesus through the body of Center Point. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, you have an agenda, you have a goal, and the goal is that Jesus would be known, that Jesus would be embraced as Savior of the world, and that people who do not know Jesus would come to accept Jesus as Savior of the world, and they would surrender their life to Him. That's your goal, Father. It's a simple message that we are sinners saved by your grace, and you gave us Jesus, and he died on a cross, defeated the grave, and rose again. It's a simple message, Lord, but so many things can get in the way. And that's why, Lord, Paul prays that we are strengthened by your Spirit. And Father, I pray that over this body of believers right here sitting in this room. I pray, Lord, that we are strengthened by your Spirit, that we walk by your Spirit. Lord, Paul prayed that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. Father, I pray that we allow you to dwell in us every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, by faith, that our eyes are fixed upon Jesus. And Lord, Paul prayed that we be rooted and established in love. And I pray that over this body, Lord. We pray that we be rooted and established in love because, Lord, there are times when challenges may arise, um, difficulties may, we may face. But Lord, may we be rooted and established in love, that we carry ourselves in love. Lord, in this world that is hurting, in this world that needs to see and experience a true love, a love that is in Christ, may that be this body of believers. And Lord, I pray this over the church in America and the church across this world, that we would be a church, churches that walk by your Spirit, that we're guided by faith in our hearts, and that we're rooted and established in your love.